Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Uh, follow him on the Twitter, at CFP Winning Edge. No Xavier Trish. He is on baby duty today. Uh, couldn't make it to the show, so he will be back uh, next week. Um, unless his daughter ruins his sleep schedule again. So we will see. Uh, take your bets now. I, I got uh, I got two to one for uh, Xavier. I think he'll be here next week. He'll miss it too much. So um, we will see. But Nick, uh, bowl season in full force as we're recording this. We've got Eastern Michigan, you know, quote unquote, upsetting San Jose State here. Um, I did have Eastern Michigan in my bull pick them. So I'm uh, going to get that one uh, Toledo versus Liberty coming up. But what have you thought about a uh, bowl season so far as a whole? Well, I mean, so far so good. I, th- I think for the most part, we've had good games. I mean, we had Florida for the second year in a row, just absolutely not show up. Got that one completely wrong. And we talked about it a little last week where, I uh, thought maybe the market was kind of overcompensating on the the amount of guys that they uh, were missing. Nope, I was wrong. They were right. Uh, but other than that, it it's been uh, competitive. Uh, we've had some good games. Um, it's uh, it's fun. I mean, bowl season's always fun. It's great to have something going on just about every single day. Um, it's nice as somebody who you know doesn't have an actual workplace I have to go to. It's it's <laughs> nice to be able to fire up at 2 30 on a Monday and and uh see a there's game. a there's a go bowl game going on. Absolutely. So uh great time of year, a lot of fun. And and one thing that I really do like about this time of year is you know your your attention is not divided when uh it's a Saturday. Um and, you know, if, for example, Eastern Michigan and San Jose State were playing on a on a Saturday and on conference game, I probably wouldn't be paying a whole lot of attention because there'd be, you know, other quote unquote bigger games uh, going on. But when a, a bowl on a Tuesday night, it, it, that's the only thing that's on, um, you really do sit down and watch and. My mind is always looking ahead anyway. I'm looking ahead to next year. Um, it's a good opportunity, especially, you know, a little bit of a silver lining for as many opt-outs as we've had and, and season-ending injuries, things like that. Um, you get a little bit of a, a sneak preview as to, you know, what to look for uh, in in 2023. So it can really concentrate on, you know, Eastern Michigan and, and San Jose State, teams that might get overlooked in sort of an overcrowded uh, Saturday afternoon, but, um, here in, in bowl season, we get to watch, we get to, uh, learn a little bit more in depth, uh, about that team. And then also if, if some younger guys are getting opportunities because, uh, some of the regulars aren't there, um, we can take that information and, and, you know, apply it to, uh, next season as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely been, interesting here um you know a couple of ups and downs in the bowl season and i'm with you as far as you know watching being able to concentrate and watch one game uh i always hate it in the morning slate for the nfl um and for college when there's like a bunch of good games in the morning and then the afternoon kind of peters out or even if there's too many games like in the nfl we know uh 16 games uh so 14 games on a sunday at most why are 12 in the beginning 
and then one at night and then three in the afternoon. I never understood that. Why aren't we doing half in the morning, half in the afternoon and then the night game? So we get a chance to see more of these teams. So I am absolutely with you in uh, being able to see one game at a time and concentrate on that, even though there are some games that overlap, but you know, not very often. So um, let's talk about some of the coaching moves here. Mississippi state promoted Zach Arnett to full-time head coach following uh, Mike Leach passing. Uh, not really surprised. It seemed like uh, that was the way it was going to go. And that was kind of the rumors uh, immediately after um, Mike Leach did pass. So uh, to see that um, is, yeah, I, it seems like a good move to me and the players seem to like it right, Nick. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was, it was pretty clear. Um, and uh, you know, as Mississippi state and, and that program was going through such a, uh, I mean, unprecedented for the last couple of decades, at least um, situation, uh, Zach Arnett came in, brought some stability and sort of in the days when we were kind of wondering, you know, uh, Mike Leach was, was basically fighting for his life. Yeah. They had a couple of you know commitments. And uh, so hate to, to think about football only things in, in that situation, but um, that, that I think shows that Zach Arnett and, and the coaching staff that was there, um, they were able to, to, you know, find a way to um, keep going and, and, and help the program, you know, along the way while they're also dealing with a, a, a tragedy. Um, so fairly impressive there and, and got a lot of support from uh, the program. You would expect that uh, that consistency will pay off curious uh, from a football standpoint to see what the offense looks like because Zach Arnett's obviously a, a you know, defensive coordinator and, and uh, has done a, a really, really good job there. Um, will they keep, you know, the system in place that, that Mike Leach has had so much success with, or, um, will they go in a different direction since, you know, Arnett had not necessarily been, uh, or is not as a defensive minded head coach tied to that, um, you know, forever and always. So a uh, little curious to see how that plays out, but, um, he, you know, certainly stepped in, uh, did a, a really good job providing some stability. And, and I think in this situation, um, probably just the, the smart thing to do. Um, you know, hopefully he's, he's ready for it. seems like he's, he's, um, uh, getting, getting to work and, and doing well, uh, so far. Um, but it, in, in such a unique situation, probably best to, to try to keep some things consistent, not, not, you know, add to the, um, the the just sort of outside forces by bringing in a new staff that wants to completely do you know new things that that sort of thing yeah yeah exactly and then coach ken uh has been replaced by defense coordinator brian newberry and that means uh and navy and that means that uh all 24 fbs head coaching jobs that were open have now closed so no one is looking for a new head coach as of now um obviously you know Things happen. We saw it happen a lot last year where, um, you know, whatever happens. So we were looking for new coaches in January and February. Uh, you hope that none of that stuff happens, but it has happened in the past. What about the transfer portal, Nick? Uh, obviously a lot of movement. You are the man that I come to every single time to see where everyone has moved in all of your great sheets over on uh, Patreon. That's uh, patreon.com slash CFB winning edge for everyone looking. Um, so what are the what are the big moves that we've had 
uh, this week because there have been a ton of them. Yeah, and and you know I certainly rely really heavily on on uh, beat reporters, newspaper reporters across the country uh, who are so plugged in, and and then you know the recruiting sites have obviously uh, started to to spend more and more of their time and efforts on uh, those things. So you know, good folks at two four seven sports and and rivals and uh, on three dot com now uh, doing a, a great job. So try to track those things best we can and. Uh, do have a, a separate tab in our FBS team profiles labeled, you know, FBS transfer updates for the more notable names. Pretty much I'll put any any quarterback there, um, big-time playmakers on offense, not as many, you know, offensive linemen or, or uh, defensive players unless they're um, expected to, you know, maybe be an immediate starter, that type of thing. But we're seeing a, a lot of notable names. And, and you know, today as we record – uh, this morning, Tuesday morning, Devin Leary committed. You know, a lot of people would consider him the top quarterback in the transfer portal, maybe the top overall player headed to Kentucky. Um, some might, you know, maybe maybe the folks who see Will Levis as a, a number one overall draft pick or, or first round draft pick might disagree, but I think maybe Kentucky made a slight upgrade there. I don't know. Uh, Leary, pretty good quarterback. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't need to see him at, at full strength this year. Um, but that's a, a big domino. And, you know, some other quarterbacks obviously have, have made moves. Um, Arizona State, who's doing some interesting things, added Drew Pine, who um, somewhat unexpectedly, but, you know, ha- I think really capitalized on the opportunity. He got to, to be the starting quarterback at Notre Dame this year. Um, earlier, uh this week, uh, Jeff Sims, kind of a, an intriguing uh, option, especially since it looks like Casey Thompson is returning to Nebraska, but Jeff Sims committed uh, to Matt Rule and, and the new staff there uh, at Nebraska. We saw Haynes King leaving Texas A&M, one of a few Texas A&M transfers who've ended up at Georgia Tech. Um, Lane Hatcher uh, has is on now his fourth uh, school, but, you know, moves from Texas State to Ball State. Colin Schley, really interesting, you know, first first year starting quarterback at, at Kent State. Uh, didn't necessarily get to see all he could do because he was banged up late in the year, but um, he's headed to UCLA where it looks like he'll compete with uh, a, a five-star recruit that recently flipped there, uh, Dante Moore. So um, some really interesting things at the quarterback position but obviously, you know, other positions of need, we're seeing some big names uh, on the offensive line. Basically, they're either going to Michigan or Florida State right now. But uh, Michigan, you know, landed multiple uh, Stanford offensive linemen. Uh, also added a, a really, really um, intriguing option, edge rusher uh, from Coastal Carolina, Josiah Stewart. Um and, and, you know, plenty of, of other big names. Mason Cobb really was a, a very, very productive linebacker at Oklahoma State as a first-year uh, starter, and, and he's headed to uh, Oklahoma State, who's had to kind of weather the, sport, uh, excuse me, weather the storm a little on some of the transfers that they had outgoing. Um, but, you know, some of our listeners I, I know are, are uh, college fantasy football players, and, and so they'll – uh, be interested to see that Old Dominion's Blake Watson headed to Memphis, and and you know Aiden Robbins, who had a, a nice season at UNLV, is is off to BYU. So 
there's a lot of movement and it's definitely tough to keep up uh, with all of it. I lean pretty heavily on, on you know, outside uh, reports, but uh, try to keep everything organized best we can. And, and um, we will see eventually the, the duff, you know, the dust will settle um, in, in January, but a uh, lot of teams making moves, a uh, lot of uh, new faces and new places and, and plenty more to come, uh, you know, shortly as well. Uh, interesting to see how people respond to your Devin Leary is an upgrade over Will Levis, potentially a slight uh, upgrade, perhaps. Okay. All right. At CFP winning <laughs> edge, the change and, at, at uh, office <laughs> coordinator might help as well. Going back to Liam Cohen. Uh, but I mean, you know, I, I, for one was not overly impressed with Will Levis, uh, this year. Um, he was bad this year. I don't think that's a secret. And, uh, and, you know, Devin, I'm not honestly the, the biggest Devin Leary fan. Um, I, I think that there were some, you know, when Dave Dora, we talked about it in the spring, like at the, yeah. the spring game, he was like, oh, we've got the best quarterback in the country. I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you have a very I mean, good quarterback. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's good, sure. <laughs> but you know, I'm curious to see where Grayson McCall ends up. This time last week, we were talking about that he had a plan uh, to visit Auburn. That apparently fell through in part. Uh, some might speculate uh, because it looked like Devin Leary was going to uh, visit Auburn, and, and so I don't know. We'll see. There's there's a lot of moving parts. And nothing, I mean, even this Devin Leary, he's committed, but nothing is uh, official, official yet. So plenty of time for, for things to shake out uh, from here. But but yeah, I mean, Leary, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's controversial. I, it's not a it's not a, you know, a major downgrade. I think we can agree. No, no. Uh, I I was just being yeah, I was being a little tongue in cheek there, but yeah, I mean, uh, Will Levis is going to go in the first round of the draft because he just has incredible traits. So, uh, you know, you replace you replace a first rounder with anyone, and that's what we're gonna you know hear. So, uh, I I think people might raise an eyebrow, but but we'll see. I mean, Devin Leary's very good quarterback. What about from like the 10,000 foot view here, uh, 30,000 foot view, mile high view, whatever you want to say, you know, the, um, the overarching as a team, when you look at the teams and how they're building, which teams have made the most impact through signing day and then the transfer portal being open and, and everything else who has raised their, you know, their talent level, up the most what is the most interesting to you or what do you think when you look at it from a overall team standpoint well i i kind of look at things in tiers a little bit um and toward the very top i've, I've mentioned this uh i believe on on this show i've said it on twitter a time or two and, and perhaps i got ahead of myself a little bit but i was talking about you know i think usc uh and texas are, are going to be uh, contending for that preseason number one in our power rankings. Um, both teams have been in the top 10 all year. Both are returning uh, really highly rated quarterbacks uh, in USC's case. I mean, the Heisman Trophy winner. Um, that was probably a little premature. I mean, there's there's definitely a, a chance that uh, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, even though they're all going to be uh, replacing quarterbacks, they're probably going to be up there. Um, 
but I think I overlooked Michigan. You know, Michigan is is a really, really talented team playing at a, a obviously a playoff level for two straight years. Um, and they are, I believe they're number one in, you know, the transfer portal rankings at, at on three and two, four, seven sports. I mean, they're just killing it. Bringing guys, I mentioned Stewart, um, but they're adding depth pieces. A couple of guys today from Indiana, tight end AJ Barner, uh, backup quarterback, Jack Tuttle, um, you know, not necessarily somebody that, that is going to maybe matter, but um, they Michigan, it seems like right now is is doing so well that they're able to to bring in some guys who um, could be impact players elsewhere uh, to be backups. They're they're supplementing their offensive line. That's the Joe Moore Award winning uh, offensive line. Uh, but they they hit a, a complete home run, bringing in an All American center uh, and Olu. Oluwatimi from uh, Virginia last year. Um, they're probably going to lose. In addition to him, you know, Ryan Haynes is, is uh, excuse me, Hayes is, is off. Um, we may or may not see a couple of the the juniors, all conference players uh, like Trevor Keegan and, and Zach Zenter. Maybe they will be back. Maybe not. But um, Michigan is is wasting no time. Brought in Drake Nugent from Stanford. Brought in Ladarius Henderson from Arizona State, also Miles Hinton from Stanford. I mean, you know, those those three have, have played a lot of football, played pretty well. I mean, Drake Nugent uh, had a really, really solid year this year for Stanford. Henderson was hurt a little bit, um, actually uh, quite a bit at, at Arizona State, but I was impressed with him. He was a true freshman starter uh, a couple of years ago. So I, I think I overlooked Michigan, uh, not only just the talent that they've accumulated uh, with some really, really, you know, talented high school players like J.J. McCarthy, Donovan Edwards are going to be uh, a one-two combo. You know, starting uh, freshman corner, Will Johnson's had a huge year. Um, guys like that who, who we expect to come back, as long as they don't get just completely decimated with, with guys off to uh, the NFL draft, um, especially the way that they're already, you know, filling any potential weak spots they might have. Um, they're a team that's definitely going to be in the mix. USC, I think, certainly will be as well. They are, at least right now, just as active as they were uh, last season, bringing in a couple of, of uh, really intriguing pieces, guys like Dorian Singer, who had a, a real breakout year at Arizona, bringing in Cobb, like I mentioned, at linebacker. Um, they are – Arizona, I think, is, is doing – an interesting thing, they're mixing some established guys, guys like Christian Roland Wallace, who's started, I mean, what, 35 games or something at Arizona. Um, and so they can they can put a guy like that in and hopefully he'll help, you know, solidify a secondary that's been a real weak spot at times this year. But they're also bringing in guys who, you know, uh, are sort of that, you think, with that NFL draft lingo, uh, high upside guys like a Jamil Muhammad, who, you know, former quarterback, four-star signee at, at Vanderbilt, transferred to Georgia State, moved over to linebacker, hasn't played a whole lot, but is a, you know, uh, has been productive in spurts, but is sort of a, a, a guy that has the athleticism, has the uh, the ability and, and could grow into being a, a big-time linebacker. 
Um, it's just kind of interesting to see USC taking sort of different paths, what they're doing to, to supplement uh, what I do expect to be one of the you know top roster strength uh, ratings that, that we'll see uh, early next year. Um, so those, those teams kind of capture my attention first. I'm really impressed with what TCU, Florida State, what they're doing. They're kind of in that next tier where, yeah, TCU is, is obviously in the playoff this year. If things fall right, could win a national championship. But but I would expect, you know, a little more of just more of a top 10 team, not necessarily who we expect to be uh, competing for a national championship next year. But they're bringing in some former five-star players. They're bringing in, uh, you know, guys from a from a lower level, mixing and matching. Um, Florida State is, is bringing in offensive linemen after offensive linemen. And I'm sure, you know, we'll be supplementing with some skilled guys as well. Tulane is is uh, really, you know, uh, kind of kind of come out of nowhere uh, from a, a ten loss team to an eleven win team uh, last year. They're going to be losing a lot of productive guys, um, and they are hitting the transfer portal hard and and bringing in experienced players who uh, look like they're going to be able to plug and play. Guys like you know Tyler Grubbs, who was a freshman All American at Louisiana Tech a couple of years ago. Um, AJ Hampton, a, a starting corner at Northwestern. Um, they're just they're they're keeping uh, keeping that talent level high, keeping that you know average player rating. Um, they're 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 able to hold it or or maybe even improving in some areas, and and I think it's it's really going to work out well. SMU always active in the portal that hasn't changed. You know they're bringing in like half a dozen Miami transfers from Rhett Lashley's uh, time there. Oklahoma State lost some guys early in the process. Um, they've they've added some really, really interesting pieces, um, you know, a couple of, of uh, potential high-impact guys from Tulsa on the defensive side of the ball, Anthony Goodlow, Justin Wright, um, some intriguing uh, player. You know, Sean Tyler was really productive as a running back at Western Michigan, Son Stribling. Uh, had some moments as a receiver at, at Washington State, um, so I'm I'm really you know kind of curious at what they're doing, um, and then some of the the teams that have had recent you know uh, coaching transitions, a little bit of a depleted roster, but Arizona State making things happen. Virginia Tech's added a couple of you know interesting pieces, um, and then you know on the flip side there are teams that just right now are. are uh, just sort of losing player after player and, and haven't yet been able to fill those holes. But Stanford, who may be, might be the lowest rated power five team uh, in our preseason rankings. I New Colorado. Sure, well, I thought for sure Northwestern was was going to be it. And they still might be. I, I expect Colorado, even though they haven't made that you know major splash yet. They're adding some talented players already. Uh, but it's more of kind of like rebound guys. I expect Colorado will eventually bring in some um, more established players. Uh, but Stanford, man, they are they are losing a lot of talent um, from a from a team that didn't necessarily capitalize on it. Uh, Arkansas seems to be maybe moving in the wrong direction right now after really building some momentum last year. Coastal Carolina, I mean, the coaching change I think has a lot to do with that. But uh, similar at Kent State, which is kind of uh, adjacent to, to Colorado because they hired uh, the head coach there at Kent State, Sean Lewis, to be the offensive coordinator. Um, 
So it's it's certainly not a benefit to every team. Some teams like Oklahoma State are, are kind of coming out net, uh, you know, just just sort of balancing things out a little bit. Um, but then some teams are, are going to be on the wrong end. And, and Kent State, unfortunately, uh, they've been so much fun to watch the last few years. But uh, unless they're able to, you know, make some moves and, and pull out some uh, players from the transfer portal, they might be slipping into that, you know, deep 120s uh, rating as we turn the page to, to 2023. So a lot of movement. A lot of teams doing uh, some unique things, some interesting things, things that will impact next year's playoff race, you know, who's bowl eligible, and then who's the worst team, whether it's you know P5 or in conference or or maybe even nationally. Some of these I'm a little worried about about Kent State, you know, teams like that 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 uh, had some real momentum, were a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, but when their best players all hit the transfer portal, um, it's going to be tough to rebuild that roster. Yeah, it, it's tough to, um, you know, in that in that frame, uh, work it out and become good again. You work so hard to establish yourself. And unless you jump into a new conference, the cycle comes for everybody. You know what I mean? There are some teams that seem to be up for longer or low for longer. Um, and then there's, you know, like UMass is always bad and Alabama is always good. You know, the, the, there's those top tier ones. I'm kind of interested in what UMass is doing the last 48 hours. I, I, I must tell surprised. you. Yeah. We, talk, <laughs> I, I, we can talk about that. Well, let's hear it. What, what, what is, uh, what's so interesting about UMass? I mean, and also, did you mention the, the trailer comments uh, about the, the transfer portal and his thoughts? I did. did. You see all I that? saw that. Yeah. The, the tampering I'm, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I don't just have any overreacting a little bit. Well, I don't have anything original to say. I mean, okay. there, there's, you know, Jeff Trailer, UTSA head coach, tweeted <laughs> at the NCAA uh, about Power Five teams basically trying to poach his uh, his his star players. Um, Mac, why uh, why Mac? What's his <laughs> North Carolina? Mac Brown. Jeez. Oh, Mac Brown. Complete, yeah, yeah. Complete brain fart there. Um, uh, made some comments, you know, uh, about uh, Drake May and and some teams offering him big money, and then Pat Narduzzi said something about Drake May and five million dollars, and that seems to be perhaps a little bit of a, an exaggeration, but who knows? Um, I I don't know. I'm not getting too bent out of shape right now about tampering and and things like that. I mean, yeah, in a perfect world, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I don't necessarily like it. Um, I think that, you know, there are people out there who, who say, well, they're not naming names because that's just, you know, the way it is. If, if you wanted to put it, uh, if, if you wanted to, to put an end to it, let's, let's name names and let's, um, get to the kind of get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Or is it just something that everybody's doing? Maybe even, uh, Maybe even the the people who are uh, calling others out might not necessarily be uh, completely innocent of, on the of up such up, things, sure. right? So I don't know. I don't I don't have anything uh, different 
to okay. say, but it, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't necessarily bring a, 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 doesn't take up a whole lot of space in my thinking, if that makes sense. Not as um, much space as UMass's moves do. Right. I'm much more interested <laughs> in, uh, so they, they brought in an, an FCS starter from Western Carolina, Carlos Davis. Interesting to see uh, how he fits in because UMass had, had some issues at the quarterback position, couldn't really settle on one guy. Um, every transfer from Arizona who doesn't go to USC apparently is contractually obligated to go to UMass. They've added like <laughs> five Arizona transfers, um, including a few who are from the East Coast, from the Northeast, who uh, Don Brown, the head coach at UMass, recruited to Arizona. I mean, they're specifically, you know, uh, uh, Tyler Martin was a, a pretty highly rated uh, Massachusetts product who, who went west went to arizona um and is coming back you know they're they're able to, to land some guys from minnesota miami uh you know steven ortiz from minnesota jalen harrell who's a uh, basically a fringe five-star player coming out of high school um has not played very much at miami so perhaps he was an overrated guy and but you know get a get a uh an opportunity a change of scenery um, we'll see what happens. And, and then, you know, today they got a, an offensive lineman from division two Saginaw Valley state. I know nothing about him, but I'm, I'm interested to learn because, uh, offensive linemen, I mean, one of the, the most highly sought after players, uh, right now in the transfer portal is an offensive lineman from Rhode Island who, you know, recently took a visit to Ohio state. I mean, that, that's a, a, a position of need. And something I would like to talk a little bit in the offense, or excuse me, in the in the off season, um, how we're we're seeing some guys who are five star players or, or you know really highly rated coming out of high school who don't crack the too deep, you know, perhaps because there's so much projecting that needs to be done at that position in the recruiting services, um, where it seems like maybe there are. Uh, just as much, if not more, guys who are overrated as offensive linemen, but then there are other guys who slip through the excuse me, excuse me, slip through the cracks or are late bloomers who can sort of rise up the ranks a little bit and, and get an opportunity to play uh, at the FBS level and and who knows. So um, I'm also always interested in what's going on in the 120s, the 130s in our in our power <laughs> rankings, just to to uh, the first teams the first, you hit. Exactly. Those are the first ones that that uh, we get going on 2023 uh, info and, and previews and all that sort of stuff. So uh, UMass is is, uh, you know, December and January. It, it's it's UMass time for me. So I'm, I'm keeping an eye on, on what's going on there. But it just so happens to be they're being aggressive and they're getting uh, players who, you know, power five programs uh, wanted coming out of high school. So we'll see if it works. Uh, let's, uh, are, are we ready to move on to bowl Five or six now? minutes on UMass? That's, no, that's no, no, no more, no, no. more UMass. Okay. I think we're good on UMass. Uh, let's <laughs> talk about teams that actually made it into bowls and talk about some bowl games. Are you ready to rock it? And we're doing this as, uh, the Boca Raton bowl is kicking off, uh, right now. Uh, but let's talk about the new Orleans bowl, Western Kentucky versus South Alabama. The spread is South Alabama by four and a half. We have it closer to them by a point. 53 and a half is the uh, over the total on that one. We are under hashtag every under, of course. <laughs> uh, but um, Austin Reed is uh, looking like he's going to play in this game 
for Western Kentucky after entering the portal and then leaving the portal and that whole uh, big mess. But looks like he's going to be up and ready to go, uh, which makes this a much bigger challenge for South Alabama. And, you know, if you had this in a bull pick'em group like I did as kind of a high point one um, for South Alabama, I think that needs to be lowered now with Austin Reed coming back. So your thoughts on the New Orleans Bull, Nick? Right. I mean, Western Kentucky, uh, things didn't look great there for a little while. Uh, part of it, uh, Tyson Helton, the head coach there, uh, I'm not sure if he's actively been looking to make a move um, or it just so happens, you know, they've, they've had a couple of uh, good seasons back to back. The offense has been, um, you know, putting up a lot of points and, and uh, yards and, and, fun passing attack maybe that makes him uh, an attractive uh head coaching candidate at a, at a power five uh school but he was apparently in the mix for other jobs and i think that had to do a little bit with not just austin reed they they've lost uh a couple of starting offensive linemen to the transfer portal a couple of tight ends um they also briefly lost jaquez evans who has had a huge huge year um, as an edge defender, uh, and he, like Austin Reed, uh, decided to come back and like Tyson Helton, I guess, <laughs> decided, uh, to come back or, or, you know, maybe other offers weren't quite what they hoped they might be, but that I would expect will have an impact on this game to the point where we've, we've released, we mentioned this last week, I think, but, um, uh, we released our official projections, in batches did part one this is part two earlier today tuesday release part two um we were you know much much uh more bullish on south alabama obviously when the news was was coming out that some of these big time players weren't going to be there um that has since tightened considerably uh we do still have south alabama favored as you mentioned and i think that perhaps uh, you know, some of this in and out of the portal, will that carry over to their bowl prep? You know, maybe not uh, after you've played, uh, what, 13 games, uh, it, it, it probably you're able to just sort of get back and, and, um, get in the swing of things. You know, Austin Reed probably didn't miss much of any practice time. Jaquez Evans probably didn't miss much of any practice time. Um, the offensive line might look a little different depending on, whether or not any of the, the players who uh, said they were going to enter the transfer portal are sticking around for the bowl. That's something that's been a little more difficult to, to keep track of this year because there are some players who are entering the portal but but going to play in the bowl game. Um, uh, but South Alabama, things have been relatively quiet, relatively consistent, and this was a good team. I mean, they, they won 10 games, came up just short, uh, in the Sunbelt West title race, played top 25 defense, according to our team performance numbers. Um, uh, South Alabama is just a, a solid, solid team. Um, getting uh, players who are, are receiving invites to uh, the Senior Bowl, you know, guys like Jalen Wayne, uh, you know, Yam Banks has, has gotten um, not just some all-conference recognition, but, but even some all-American recognition, sophomore safety. Um, so South Alabama, even if Western Kentucky was at full strength, even if they were not dealing with a little bit of this, you know, who's going to stay, who's going to go, 
um, they'd be a tough team to beat. So even though our projection, you know, has WKU covering, um, has this as a, a virtual toss-up, um, I've been I've been pretty impressed with how consistent South Alabama's been all year. I mean, Carter Bradley's not the you know not the flashiest quarterback, but he's he's been able to get the job done. Um, Ladamian Webb, when healthy, has has been incredibly productive on the ground. He has you know gotten some rest, is healthier now than than we've seen probably in in a few months. Um, you know, the offensive line is is good, maybe not great, but but a top fifty unit on the field. The defensive line grades out very similarly um, in, in those uh, O line and D line performance ratings, and in the secondaries you know, really a, a, a very solid unit. So uh, not just Jan Banks, but uh, Gerald Lutcher is going to be uh, playing in some of those postseason uh, all-star games. And, and you know, they brought in some talented transfers uh, from a lot of SEC and Big Ten schools uh, last year. So defensively, South Alabama, I think, is is going to be able to uh, give WKU, you know, some some issues, especially if, if they're not coming out uh, full, you know, full speed, full strength, that sort of thing. So I think I like South Alabama a little bit more than the numbers do, though we do see it as, as pretty much a, a toss up. Yeah. I'm not going to change my pick. I'm going to take South Alabama here as well, but uh, I am going to lower the points on it uh, because I am a little bit worried now that Austin Reed is back. Uh, let's go over to the armed forces bowl Baylor versus air force. Baylor is a three and a half point favorite. We have this as Air Force as a slight favorite. Uh, 49 and a half is the under. We're about a touchdown off of that. Um, what do we think of the Armed Forces Bowl? Because this one, Nick, to me seems like, you know, look, Baylor, I think, is no doubt the better team uh, just in terms of roster strength and all that stuff. But they are, this is a disappointing bowl for them. So motivation is going to be a factor and Air Force comes to play. Uh, every single game. So what do you think of the Armed Forces Bowl? Uh, can Air Force eke this one out? I usually try to stick away from motivation, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if if any team is sort of a guaranteed they're going to show up, it, it's going to be Air Force. Um, Air Force is also a difficult team to prepare for. Uh, you know, you're going up against an option offense uh, and Air Force is even a little bit different than Army and Navy in the way that they uh, run the triple option. So uh, not only that, but they've got some really good players. I mean, uh, you know, Brad Roberts, the running back, has, has had a huge year. Uh, we've seen John Lee Eldridge break out, be a, a really solid compliment. Hazique Daniels runs the offense as, as a you know, multi-year starter there so it does a good job of of um just helping them you know move down the field manage the game that sort of thing uh it's a top 10 offensive line in our o-line performance ratings they rank number eight uh isaac cochran the right guard has played at an all-american type level uh everett smalley at left tackle is also an all-conference player um this air force offense is is going to be a challenge for baylor Defensively, I mean, you could say a lot of the same things. Not not a whole lot of uh, highly rated recruits coming out of high school, obviously, but guys like Christopher Herrera on the defensive line—that's a top twenty-five unit in our performance ratings. You know, Vince Sanford 
all conference, all American type production. T. Day, excuse me, T. D. Blackman. Those two linebackers have been incredibly productive this year. Uh, Trey Taylor had a great year at, at safety. He and, and Canby Golf as well. So, um, Air Force is a team that is more talented than most people probably give them credit for, but they're also playing uh, at a at a high level. I mean, they rank 20th in overall team performance. Uh, 33rd on the offensive side of the ball, 26 on defense. They're just a solid, solid team. And I think you're, you know, absolutely right. Baylor probably disappointed to be here, you know, disappointed to be six and six. This was a lot of people expected to compete for a Big 12 championship. Um, I know a lot of people, and myself included, have a lot of respect for Dave Aranda and the job that he's done. Um and, and like some of the things we've seen from, uh, excuse me, Blake Shapin at quarterback, uh, true freshman running back Richard Reese has had some moments, though Squirrel Williams and, and Quaylen Jones uh, have come on a, as well. Monterey Baldwin, uh, talented, uh, explosive playmaking receiver. Um, you know, Gavin Holmes has had some big games. He's, he's also not been fully healthy recently, but um, Baylor's got, got some playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. They've got, you know, some future pros on the offensive line, guys like uh, Jacob Gall, Connor Galvin, uh, Grant Miller, all playing their last game. That's a, a solid offensive line that, that's 32nd and, and O-line performance. Defensively, where Dave Aranda's, you know, really made his name, and, and they do also have some really, really good players and, and future pros like Siaki Ika, you know, Dylan Doyle at linebacker, uh, who doubles as a fullback at, at times and, and uh, just sort of, uh, you know, love that element of it. Um, but they've they've struggled a little bit defensively. Aranda had to fire his mentor, defensive coordinator Ron Roberts, who, you know, was uh, a, a guy who hired Aranda, uh, you know, a, a few decades ago when Gotta he was tough. Gone. It is tough. And, and obviously Roberts did – did fine. He landed at Auburn, but um, still a, a little bit of a disappointing unit. Uh, they rank 70th in defensive team performance overall. The defensive line, which on paper uh, and with Ika, I mean, a guy who just is a massive human being and, and you know plays pretty well. Uh, Gabe Hall, really productive. Guys like TJ Franklin, Jackson Player uh, ha- have been really, really good. That unit ranks 104th in D-line performance. So um, it, it's been a little bit of a struggle. It's been a bit of a disappointing group. Um, there there certainly have been guys like Carmen Randolph and, and Al Walcott and Nickelback, linebacker and Nickelback respectively, um, who have been productive this year. But this Baylor team is is just not quite as good as as uh, a lot of people thought they would be coming into the year, a little bit of a disappointment, maybe a little bit of a, like, oh, we don't really want to be here. And Air Force, I, I don't think you're going to get any of that. So uh, could be wrong about Baylor. I, I do have enough respect you know, for Aranda, that coaching staff, and and uh, I shouldn't discount you know, the players and, and expect that they will come out um, not, you know, not motivated. Uh, but I, I like Air Force here. Our, our projection actually has Air Force winning outright. It's basically a coin flip, but uh, do have this as a wrong team favored scenario. Honestly, that scenario has not been good 
this year uh, in wins and losses for us. Uh, but I I kind of like it. I I, I kind of like that we're on the Air Force side of things. I just trust them a little bit more. And and they're a tough team and a tough team to to prepare for. So uh, all those things kind of line up and and make me think that um, this is a game that Air Force can can definitely win. Now we go over to Friday and uh, move to the Independence Bowl, which is going to be Louisiana versus Houston. Houston is a six and a half point favorite. We have a closer to them by 10, 15 and a half is the over. We're, of course, under that by about five points. But this one seems fairly obvious to me that Houston should be favored. Um, Tank Dell did declare for the NFL draft, but he is going to play in the game. Um, but I don't know. Louisiana just hasn't been the same since Chandler Fields uh, took over a quarterback for the injured Ben Woolridge. And, uh, you know, I just don't see a lot of positivity for Louisiana in this game against a high scoring offense like Houston. So uh, how do you see this one playing out? Well, so uh, last week we, you know, I, I, I was pretty clear in my don't trust Toledo, uh, a, a, a sort of philosophy and they're playing as we record. So that might look smart, might look really dumb. Uh, we'll see. We'll edit it out if we look dumb and, and they, <laughs> uh, blow, uh, blow out Liberty tonight. But I, I have a similar thought about Houston. I mean, Houston was a team that um, numbers wise at the beginning of the season, uh, I'm pretty sure we had projected to, you know, as favored in 10 games and, and basically, uh, coin flips in the other two. So thought that there was a chance that Houston could be uh, maybe the team to beat as far as a, a group of five uh, team challenging for, for New York six bowl. And, and uh, Clayton tune has, has had a, an incredible career at quarterback, uh, you know, Dell incredibly, incredibly productive player, really excited to see uh, what he's going to be able to do at the next level. Uh, the offensive line has been good. Multiple all-conference players. Uh, the defense, excuse me, the, the the defensive line, the pass rush, has been incredibly productive. I mean, DeAnthony Jones and, and Nelson Caesar have had huge years. Uh, Alitas Bell, um, an interior defensive lineman, incredibly productive. Derek Parrish, unfortunately, you know, missed most of the season, put up double-digit production points. Uh, playing just a, a handful of games. But the unit as a whole, even though the, the defensive line has been a strength, and really they've got good players at the other two levels as well, especially you know linebacker Donovan Mooton, uh, Art Green, and Javarius Owens are both all-conference players in the secondary. Uh, you know, Multiple guys go into to those all-star games. But defensively, Houston ranks 91st in team performance and against the pass they're 108 so you know uh, louisiana not necessarily built to take advantage of of that in the passing game um especially when one of their their top receivers michael jefferson is is opted out of this game um but yeah with with chandler you know chandler fields taking over um chris smith i believe is playing but he hasn't quite been you know, that bell cow type running back, a lot of us expected is more shared times with guys like Draylon Washington and Terrence Williams. Um, Louisiana is just not, you know, kind of kind of the inverse where offensively 
their numbers just just not not great. <laughs> you know, 88th in offensive team performance, 104th uh, in passing offensive team performance. So it's sort of a you know the opposite of strength versus strength there, sort of a weakness versus weakness. Which which pass defense, which uh, passing offense is, is going to get it done? I I think Houston, especially the way they can rush the passer. Um, I, I like the way Houston matches up, and our numbers certainly do, as you mentioned. We see a little bit of breathing room there. See it is closer to a double-digit uh, projected point spread than than less than a touchdown. But also, this is Houston. So it's a team that just doesn't always play up to expectation, doesn't always play up to uh, talent on hand. And, you know, Louisiana, who who can run it a little bit when you've got an underdog that can kind of play keep away, uh, keep the ball going on the ground, and, and milk the clock a little bit. Um, it's not necessarily uh, a, a great, you know, not necessarily what you want to see when you're looking at Houston to, to uh, get it done, get it, you know, cover a touchdown, get up to double digits, that sort of thing, uh, especially when it's a team that that is difficult to trust sometimes and, and has plenty of weaknesses itself. So, you know, if if Clayton Toon and, and Nathaniel Dell are, are operating at, at you know their max potential, uh, and if that pass rush is going, then Houston might blow Louisiana out. Um, but I just I don't necessarily know that I personally trust them to do it. So I think we are, you know, I understand that the numbers, I understand why the numbers say what they do. Expect Houston to win this one pretty comfortably, uh, but I just I don't really trust Houston. Uh, I, you know what? That's fair. Um, uh, that is fair. And, you know, even though, um, the Quan Finn is, is playing, uh, it's still zero to zero, uh, 10 minutes through the first quarter here. So, uh, haven't been laughed out of the room quite yet. Um, the Gasparilla bowl, Missouri versus wake forest, a very interesting game here. Wake forest is a one and a half point favorite. We have them closer to two and a half, 60 and a half is he over here. We are closer to 52. So, uh, Nick, this one is difficult to figure out, but, I mean, the matchup we want to see is that Wake Forest offense against the Missouri defense, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Not so much fun on the other side. Probably pretty boring Wake Forest defense versus Missouri's offense, but um, should be an entertaining game on Friday night. So what? how do we see this one playing out, the Gasparilla Bowl? Uh, I... I was a little surprised when I looked at the, you know, into the the regular season team performance ratings and Missouri's got a top 20 defense. Um, I didn't quite realize that, that they had been that good. I, I knew that, you know, the offense never really seemed to get up to, to full speed. Uh, you know, Brady Cook came along a little bit. Um, you know, Cody Schrader, good story at running back. Uh, has come along a little bit. Luther Burden, you can see the talent that he's got, the five-star, I mean, you know, elite, elite recruit coming out of high school. They've been creative, try to get him the ball a little bit in, in some u- unique situations, but just haven't, you know, he hasn't really been that superstar a lot of us thought he, he could be. Uh, but the defense has is, is played well enough uh, that Missouri, especially in the second half of the season, uh, has has been a tough team to beat. Has been able to to do enough uh, to get to bowl eligible and and you know should be competitive 
in this game. But one of the things that, you know, our particular way of doing things, um, we do look at injuries. We do look at opt-outs and, and uh, Missouri's got a few, you know, they, they are going to be without Isaiah McGuire, uh, max rated all SEC defensive end. Uh, he's opted out of this game. Uh, DJ Coleman, similarly, uh, uh, you know, a, a contributor on the defensive line. He's going to be out of this game. And this is a top 10, you know, D-line performance rated unit. Um, they're going to be without two of their best and most productive players up front. They're also going to be without Martez Manuel, who's opted out, the nickelback, um, who, you know, hasn't had huge, huge numbers, but has been, you know, good enough and, and productive enough that he's become a max rated player in our individual player ratings, hundred rated player. Uh, they're going to be without him. And, and, you know, guys like Chris Abrams, strain and, and Jalen Carly's um, uh, Ennis Rakeshaw, uh, who I, I do believe announced that he'd be back for his senior year in 2023. You know, they're, they're solid on the back end. Um, but without Manuel, who's been a playmaker um, and, and especially without, you know, arguably their two best guys up front. Trajan Jeffcoat had a huge year last year, but, but you know, hasn't um, really filled up the stat sheet at all this season. Darius Robinson, pretty good on the interior, but but they're going to miss those guys. They're they're not as deep, uh, and, and I would expect, you know, they're without two of their best players, not a, not a top 10 unit uh, on that defensive line anymore. So Missouri is going to be a little bit of a – it might be a little bit of a struggle, especially if – uh, Wake Forest, who we haven't heard that anybody's going to opt out. Uh, Sam Hartman is, um, I believe, headed to the NFL. There was some uh, discussion, uh, even you know, in in some of the pre excuse me uh, bowl game press conferences uh, that Dave Clawson had that that he kind of alluded to maybe maybe Hartman might test the transfer waters um, after the game was over. Uh, that would be interesting to see, kind of throw a whole new uh, thing into the the quarterback carousel that we're seeing. Uh, A.T. Perry, I know, is headed to, I think it's the East-West Shrine Bowl, but haven't heard, unless I missed it, that, that he's going to be opted out. So um, Jamal Banks and Donovan Green have been dealing with some injuries. That might, uh, you know, that passing game that's been a top five uh, team performance rated passing attack. You know, if, if they're shorthanded there, maybe that kind of helps even out a little bit of the, uh, the Missouri, uh, you know, the, the losses that they have personnel wise. So this game, I think is more of about, you know, in that particular matchup that you mentioned that, that, you know, solid Wake Forest offense, especially the passing attack and the good Missouri defense, um, uh, especially, you know, that defensive line that's been a strength and that secondary that's been a strength. Um, which which of those units is is going to be the most or, or the closest to 100%? Uh, because there's some questions about both of them. And, and so I think because of that, I don't have, uh, you know, personally a, a real strong lean. We do have Wake Forest winning and covering, have our projection uh, closer to a field goal, as you mentioned. Um but this is one where it's, you know, we do know some of the personnel information. We do know Wake Forest is going to be a little bit, uh, you know, lacking some depth, the running back position because a couple of transfers, the Missouri opt-outs. 
Um, but this one, it, it feels like there's just a little bit more that it's, it's you know, we don't necessarily know uh, what we're going to get. Are we going to see a full Sam Hartman game, A.T. Perry, that sort of thing? Um, and, and because of that, I'm, I'm a little bit vague, but if those guys play and if they play it, you know, they're, they're normal um, all ACC level. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, I like that we're on Wake Forest to cover, um, but it, it's it's not necessarily the um, most confident uh, of, of these games that, that we've discussed. I also picked Wake Forest for low confidence points. Uh, I take the offense over the defense most of the time, uh, and that is what I'm going with. And that one on Christmas Eve, uh, Saturday evening, we got Middle Tennessee against San Diego State. The line is San Diego State by six and a half. Uh, the R line is them closer to four and a half. 49 and a half is the total. And of course, we are under that by about a touchdown. But th- this one is interesting, Nick, because I don't know, like San Diego State has obviously had offensive issues, but uh, since the um, Oh God, I just blanked out his name. Uh, Maiden, since he took over, mm-hmm. they've looked a lot better. Yeah. And I do think that Middle Tennessee had maybe the easiest schedule to make a bowl. <laughs> they beat look, they beat Miami, which is a very in Miami, very, very impressive win. But the other teams they beat were like FIU, FAU, Charlotte, uh, UTEP, you know, um, a lot of lot of rough teams, Colorado State, uh, you know. A lot, lot of rough teams to get Lost here. So Louisiana Tech. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I'm on San Diego State pretty firmly here. How do you see this one going? I I I think so. I mean, I think San Diego State is is rightly favored. I absolutely agree uh, that that Jenna Maiden basically is has turned this team around. I mean, they they play at a top twenty five level on defense. That was expected. That has remained consistent. Um, and it's a, a really, really solid unit over there. I mean, uh, Jonah Tavai, one of the most uh, productive defensive linemen. They they are you know base uh, three thirty five. They're they're part of that uh, Rocky Long uh, bloodline. So he's technically a defensive end, but really he's you know an interior lineman. Uh, Jonah Tavai, for for a guy that's you know pushing three hundred pounds is about as productive as anybody you're going to find. Um, and he's not the only one. I mean, Keyshawn Banks, Justice Devai, that that defensive line as a whole has been really, really good um, for a long time uh, to Justice Devai, his brothers, in his first year. But the other two have been, you know, all-conference multiple years. Uh, at linebacker, I mean, they're just they're racking up uh, stats. Caden McDonald, Michael Showcroft, um, just just really good players at every level. Patrick McMorris at, at safety. but the offense, though it doesn't necessarily grade out particularly well, they're 110th in, in offensive team performance. They are 101st in yards per play against FBS opponents. They're 112th in points per drive. Um, you know, not necessarily what what you what you want to see, uh, but Maiden has has really given this team a lift in the back half of the the season have have made guys like Tyrell Shavers who was a you know a little bit lost I mean guy who, who started at Alabama transferred to Mississippi State ended up at, at San Diego State uh, looks great coming off the bus hasn't really done much in his career uh, he was an all-conference player second team I believe you know Mountain West player 
Uh, Mark Redman, solid tight end, uh, ha- has really uh, sort of come into his own a little bit now that that Jalen Maiden is there. Um, they're getting, you know, some productive. We always expected that, that they were going to be able to run the ball. That hasn't been a strength this year, but we're seeing guys like Keenan Christian and, and uh, Jordan Bird um, break out and, and, you know, have big plays and, and uh, make the offense, um, you know, somewhat diverse and, and be able to attack in multiple ways. So Maiden, who played safety basically uh, for the last year plus and, and moved back over to quarterback, uh, it, it's pretty incredible how well he has played and sort of the lift that he gave what was uh, already a really, really struggling offense. Couldn't quite, you know, lift them out of the triple digits, but made this a much more dangerous unit. Uh, I think you couple that with what is legitimately a very good defense. I I think that Middle Tennessee, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle. I like Chase Cunningham. He's made some big plays. Uh, Frank Peasant has has been good at running back. Uh, Jalen Lane, solid uh, receiver, one of their best offensive weapons. Especially, you know, he's he's been in and out of the lineup a little bit this year, but uh, can impact a game on special teams as well. Um, Jalen Ferguson. I mean, I talked about you know productive defensive lineman that that San Diego State has. Ferguson absolutely is is that, but Middle Tennessee's also got Marley Cook, who's had a huge year. Uh, Zaylen Wood had a, a really big year as well. Um, one, and this might not mean anything to anybody, uh, maybe one of the biggest snubs. I was going through all the the all conference uh, rosters, you know, the, the all conference teams uh, earlier this month, and DeCorian Patterson was not a first or second team All Conference USA at corner. I mean, you're nodding your head. You know exactly. It's. I mean, how yeah. could you snub DeCorian Patterson? Uh, had a, a big, big year. That was that was a that was a miss uh, by by the uh, the All Conference USA uh, folks. But anyway, yeah, I, I, Middle Tennessee has got some some solid players. Uh, the offensive line, on the other hand, have have a little bit of an issue. Um, they've had some injuries up front. Uh, you know, Jordan uh, Palmer missed some time in, in November uh, and as a unit didn't necessarily grade out very well. 103rd no line performance rating. You put that up against that solid uh, and I shouldn't say solid, very, very good San Diego State front seven. Um, I, I I struggle to, to see Middle Tennessee, you know, consistently being able uh, to put up points, move the football. So we're on militancy to cover, but I I think that this is a game that San Diego State, you know, maybe our projections just haven't quite caught up to the the really pretty big step forward that the offense uh, for the Aztecs took in in the back half of the season. Um, I, I think they're a better offense than than you know 110th in the country mm-hmm. as they're currently built with Maiden. Um, and hopefully that running back group can get back to, to full strength. I know they were uh, sort of going some some musical chairs there uh, for a bit with with some injuries impacting some of that. But um, Middle Tennessee State has performed well in bowl games. You know, last year they they took advantage of Toledo and uh, and and won a bowl game that not many expected them to. Um, so it certainly can happen. But I do think that San Diego State is is the better team. 
uh, more talented team, um, a, a legitimately good defense, and an offense that's probably a little bit better than than we currently give them credit for. Uh, we go over to the Quick Lane Bowl on Monday, of course, skipping Christmas Day, which is on a Sunday this year. New Mexico State versus Bowling Green. Bowling Green is a four and a half point, three and a half point favorite, excuse me. Uh, we have them by right about that number. I mean, we're 0. 0.06 off. 47 and a half is the total. We are under that, of course. Now, this one, this one hurts me uh, because if we're going by momentum, it's Pavia and New Mexico State. Like they've been great. They put up huge points the last two games. Look like everything came together. But for me, it's hard to believe that McDonald, in his, you know, what is I believe is his last college game for Bowling Green, is going to come in unprepared. Even if it's not, it's like his 11th year at Bowling Green or whatever it is. I believe it's his sixth. But um, I don't know. This one's so hard for me to pick because I know New Mexico State has the momentum, but it's a big layoff. And Bowling Green, you know, let's not forget, this Bowling Green team, obviously a little different, but it beat Minnesota last year. So we know this team can bow up and play well. Uh, but New Mexico State has been surging. So how do you uh, how, how do you differentiate this, and who do you think is going to win here, Nick? This is a tough one. And, you know, these are two th – we were talking about UMass for four or five minutes, right? I mean, Bowling Green and, and New Mexico State, we're in that conversation. Actually, New Mexico State honestly is still in it. Uh, I mean, they are. I think I mistakenly said that that Rice was our lowest-rated bowl team. It's actually still New Mexico State, who uh, I absolutely agree. You know, last the last month of the year, uh, and part of it's they beat up on Valparaiso's pretty bad FCS team. Lamar's pretty bad FCS team, but that went over Liberty. I mean, who right now, as we speak is beating Toledo, uh, is, is of course, <laughs> uh, was impressive. And the job that Jerry kill has done, uh, in one year to, to take what was, uh, one of the very worst rosters in college football, one of the, least successful programs in history at the FBS level uh, and pretty quickly made them respectable to the point where, you know, they win this game. They've got a winning record this year. Uh, Bowling Green, it, it was not quite as quick of a turnaround, but you mentioned the, the Minnesota win last year. Uh, they've had, they've had some moments, uh, you know, under, under Scott Loeffler. Um, and then this year, even though, you know they're they're playing like a team that's that's rated uh, excuse me ranked in the mid 100s they're 115th in our power rankings they're 111th in overall team performance 111th in offensive team performance uh but they've had some guys step up and and you know make big plays have some big games Matt McDonald as you mentioned has had some moments started at BC I believe uh early on but uh has been at Bowling Green seemingly forever uh, according to our records, this would be the end of his eligibility, but you never know. We'll see. Um, but guys like, you know, uh, Odu Hilaire, um, Bowling Green, I mean, some of the things we were talking about in the transfer portal, I'm I'm certainly interested to see where established guys end up. I'm interested to see where, um, uh, you know, some of the, the bounce back guys who are maybe five stars, high four stars, uh, maybe they drop down or, or just need a, a – change of scenery, what have you. I'm interested to see how those play out. But a guy like Hilaire, who 
you know, transferred to Bowling Green from Alabama A&M at the FCS level. Um, It's, it's cool to see those guys step up and, and become, you know, big time playmakers. Uh, And, and Hilaire really has been, I mean, he's, he's performed at a high level uh, and and has been really, really productive over the past, uh, you know, the past year really, but, but certainly uh, the last month of the regular season, Uh, he's an all Mac performer, you know, Christian Sims at tight end, an all Mac performer. Um, They have pretty good uh, special teams play, uh, not necessarily graded out their 85th and special teams performance this year, but, you know, Teron Keith has been an all conference kick returner. Um, so they're, they're good, not great, kind of like New Mexico State. Uh, but I, I do think um, that Bowling Green is, is probably a little bit better top to bottom. And, and part of that is they really do have a handful of, of just very good defensive players. I mean, specifically, they've got one at each level. In the secondary, Jordan Anderson at, at safety, uh, at linebacker, uh, Darren Anders, although you know Demetrius Hardman has been incredibly productive this year as well. I don't even have him listed as a starter in our, our uh, team profiles right now, but he's been uh, maybe the most productive uh, linebacker uh, for this team this year and, and you know certainly um, plays a lot and, and has a big impact. But Carl Brooks is probably going to get drafted. I mean, uh, 6'4", 295 plays defensive end and just huge, huge production, athletic, uh, easily the the best NFL draft prospect in, in this game, I would assume. Um, certainly not an NFL draft prospect, or excuse me, NFL draft uh, expert, but um, he's a, a legitimately very good player and, and future pro. New Mexico State, you know, Diego Pavea has, has been a ton of fun in the month of November. Hopefully he'll be back to full strength. He, he uh, exited the, the game against Valpo uh, with an injury. Um, but New Mexico State has been a little bit more of a um, keep things close and, and, and try, to, try to find a way to, to you know, grind it out with the running game, other than they you know, ran it up a little bit in November. But um, fewer uh, maybe notable names. I mean, Chris Ojo, really productive linebacker. Uh, might be the the closest thing to a Carl uh, Brooks. Lazarus Williams, I, I, I should say, has had a really good year uh, as a defensive end. But um, those those three I mentioned from Bowling Green, uh, and and maybe the just the talent that they have as a whole. Bowling Green is one of the more talented teams in the MAC. They haven't always played like it, but I do think that that you know the actual uh, talent edge is something that that is going to come to play here and in that talent edge projection bowling green is is you know nearly a nine point favorite if if all we looked at was roster strength so um i i really am excited to see one of these two teams uh get to a winning record this year right now you know new mexico state has has performed really really well over the last month and and has that momentum as you mentioned, but I do think that Bowling Green is is the more talented team and and maybe the team that you know should win this game. Though I will say, because we uh, release these in batches, this game flipped for us. We were on 
Bowling Green to cover the three uh, when when we released part one, but that wasn't quote unquote official because you know want to want to keep an eye on uh, opt outs and all that. Uh, so the line moved in our direction, but now we're on the other side. So we're technically on New Mexico <laughs> State plus three and a half. So we'll see. I don't have a great lean, but uh, this this game might be the one that gets all the oh there are too many bowl games. Uh, just because yeah. you know, these names are not necessarily uh, what what a lot of casual fans are, are going to be excited to see. Uh, but I'm excited for it because I, I think this is one that uh, will mean a lot to the players. And, and, you know, we haven't seen winning records for either of these teams in a little while. Uh, so so whoever wins this one's going to get that. It's, it's probably going to mean a lot. I mean, the if, if, if you're not into this game, Wait till in the middle of all the good games you get uh, Ohio and Wyoming in the uh, the Barstool Arizona Bowl. Uh, Wyoming, who got Harrison Whaley out of the transfer portal from Northern Illinois. Not going to play in this game, obviously, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Big news, breaking news. Whenever it feels like breaking, Harrison Whaley on his way to Wyoming. Uh, four games on Tuesday, the twenty seventh, starting with the Kyle Van Trice Bowl, uh, Camellia Bowl, actually Buffalo versus Georgia Southern in this game. It looks like uh, Georgia Southern is favored by three and a half. We have them closer to six. Uh, 66 and a half is the total, and we are way uh, below that one. But uh, look, if Kyle Van Trees doesn't come to play in this game, I can't imagine when he would get up to play. The team that he transferred away from, he ends up at Georgia Southern, and they end up playing each other in a bowl game. So, you know, in terms of teams, seems like maybe a lateral move, but you didn't have to play in Buffalo in those crazy snowstorms. So um, maybe that was a little better. But how do you see the Camellia Bowl uh, playing out here? So Georgia Southern is a team that we've been pretty high on all year. Um, we thought that they had a pretty good chance to, to make it to a bowl game. I remember, you know, looking at, at our projections week in and week out, and it seemed like we were on Georgia Southern more often than not. Uh, that worked out much better for us in, in the first half of the year than it did in the second half. But um, they're, you know, a, a team that uh, it was really interesting to see the offensive transformation going from, you know, long time option ground heavy uh, offenses to kind of that, you know, they, they brought in some of the, the flavor from uh, Western Kentucky and, and brought in that, uh, high octane passing attack. Calvin Treese at quarterback has, has I think, done a, a pretty good job, in, in my opinion. Um, they have had some injuries on that offensive side of the ball. Uh, their top two running backs, Jalen White and Gerald Green, uh, have have been banged up. Did not play in that win against Appalachian State. Had to rely on AJ Brown uh, during that one. You know, Derwin Burgess uh, also missed. Um, that game and, and has a leg injury that I believe is going to uh, force him to miss this game. Uh, uh, Amari Jones, who is, you know, perhaps got a uh, pro future, um, uh, has been out since late October due to injury. So Georgia Southern is, is not operating at full strength on the offensive side of the ball. They do have entries. They do have Caleb Hood uh, and Jeremy Singleton, solid one-two combo there. Um, and that offensive line has been, you know, pretty solid top 40 unit in O-line performance, uh, this year, but the defense is, is an issue. Uh, 
Um, they've got some individual, you know, good players. Justin Ellis up front, uh, Marquise Watson Trent at linebacker, um, Kadri Jackson as well. Um, and then in the secondary, you know, they, they've had guys like Wyland Free, uh, Najee Thompson, who flipped over from wide receiver in the past, um, Anthony Wilson. You know, those guys have, have been good and productive. They did unfortunately lose Derek Canteen, you know, their, their best uh, corner to the transfer portal, and, and he's not going to be playing in this game. But despite some of those good players who have had productive seasons and, and productive careers in some uh, aspects, you know, they're 125th in defensive team performance. They are 127th against the run, and the defensive line ranks 130th in D-line performance. So that that makes me uh, a bit nervous. You know, Buffalo, it, this is not the Jarrett Patterson Buffalo just grind it out and, and you know, put up huge uh, rushing numbers with, with a, a really impressive offensive line. Their O-line ranks 104th in, in O-line performance. They've also had injuries with their top two running backs, Ron Cook and A.J. Henderson. Um, so Buffalo has been a little bit more pass-heavy this year, hasn't always you know gone super well, 77th in, in uh, passing offensive team performance. Um, and, and their main issue on, on the defensive side of the ball uh, grades out a little bit better as a unit, 83rd in overall defensive team performance, but against the run, they're 114th. So will that, you know, will Georgia Southern be able to take advantage of that? Maybe not the way the offense is, is currently built. Uh, they have had some, you know, when those top two guys were healthy, they've had some good rushing games this year, so they can do it. But I'm not sure that right now they're necessarily built for it. Um, and you mentioned, you know, the Calvin Trees thing, the fact that he played at Buffalo. Maybe that's a, a little bit in the mind of, of Ventrice himself, maybe even the coaching staff to say like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to let him go out and, and, and win it for us. So maybe the game plan is not really uh, going to be built to, to take advantage of what could be a good matchup against a Buffalo rushing defense that, that has struggled. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a great read on this one. We think that, you know, the numbers, I uh, think that Georgia Southern is going to be able to, uh, win this game and, and you know, should be favored by a little bit closer to uh, a touchdown. I, yeah, maybe, but it does feel like we've been a little bit high on Georgia Southern a lot this year. And I, I do have some concerns with some of the personnel losses and, and really just a, a defense that has legitimately been bad this year. Um, so I, I don't have a ton of confidence in it, but this is a game that, you know, depending on who gets healthier uh, at that running back position, um, which, um, you know, passing offense is, is able to capitalize a little bit. Will Buffalo really be able to, um, you know, take advantage of Canteen being out of uh, that defense that, that has struggled so much this year for Georgia Southern? You know, not I'm not necessarily sure one way or the other, but um, – but I don't, I don't necessarily uh, love that we're on the Georgia Southern side of things. Uh, let's go over to the first responder bowl here, which would be uh, Memphis versus Utah State. Memphis is a seven and a half point favorite. We have them closer to double digits at over ten point favorite. Sixty one and a half is the total. We're closer to fifty two. 
on that game. And Nick, in this game, this looks like a mismatch just due to what is gone at Utah State offensively. Obviously, Logan Bonner out for the year uh, earlier, early in the season. Levi Williams has been out as well. So it looks like Legas, who performed terribly, but you know they did have a big time running back in Calvin Tyler Jr., but he has opted out to go to the NFL draft and prep for that. So just not a lot on offense for Utah State. So I'm pretty heavy on Memphis here. Uh, as it seems like we are too with them being a double digit favorite. So what do we think about the Tigers and the Aggies here? Uh, yeah, our projections see Memphis is a, a big favorite. I think this might actually be our second biggest projected point spread. We, we don't have a whole lot of double digit uh, projected point spreads. I think the biggest piece of it is the quarterback position. Um, and, you know, Sean Hannigan is, is, been been good uh he's he's been productive um coach's son i always like that uh though he was you know maybe put up more impressive numbers as a true freshman still uh i i think uh, uh gives them and, and you know this is what our numbers would say um a, a pretty big edge at that position compared to Cooper Lagan and, and Utah State. And Utah State, unfortunately, as you mentioned, you know, Bonner has been out. They've had to play four quarterbacks at times this year. Um, Lagaz is good, can can uh, you know offer some athletic ability, um, does have some weapons to work with, guys like Brian Cobbs and, and Justin McGriff. Uh, Terrell Vaughn's come on of, of late. Um, the offensive line, a little bit of a strength, I would say. Uh, left tackle Alfred Edwards is, is good. They've had to start a, a true freshman at right guard all year um, and, and haven't necessarily been punished for it. Um, Utah State has some injury concerns on the defensive side of the ball, some depth issues, uh, going to be without one of their better players and linebacker MJ Tufasi. Um, but Utah State is, has been uh, been good in the second half of the season. I mean, you know, at, at one point, one, five out of six games. Um, so despite losing the the regular season finale against Boise State, it comes in, you know, relatively hot. Memphis has been a team that um, I feel like getting to six and six was a struggle. You know, they had a four game losing streak in the middle of the season. Um, were able to win two out of three to finish and get bowl eligible, but kind of limp to the finish line a little bit. Um, whereas Utah state was, was coming into its own and, and playing up to uh, a higher level. Memphis has some uh, really outstanding, both teams really have some outstanding front seven players and, and really defense as a whole. I know Rodney Owens is going to be opted out for Memphis uh, starting safety. I'm not a hundred percent sure if Quindell Johnson is playing. I know he's, uh, you know, All-American caliber safety, so that would be a big loss. He is committed to uh, one of those postseason All-Star games, um, and you know, headed off to the NFL. So it's it's I guess maybe a chance if there's not something official, it's it's still possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, Memphis on paper and, and the way we project things, uh, this is a game that that they should win, but. Utah State's, uh, I think, coming in uh, playing better uh, in in you know the last month, the last six weeks, that sort of thing, which which makes me pause a little bit. Um, this is one our our projections are pretty confident in. 
I'm I'm a little less so. But I, I do think that Memphis is the better team, more talented team, and that edge at, at the quarterback position um, is is one that that we should pay attention to. And and since we're on that Memphis side of things, maybe should give us a little bit uh, peace of mind that 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 should be a strength that that maybe could help Memphis uh, win and and cover for us. The Birmingham Bowl is uh, Coastal Carolina versus East Carolina here. This is an interesting game, Nick. Uh, as we look at the spread, it's East Carolina by eight and a half. We have them by closer to five. 59 and a half is the total. We're closer to 51 here. Is McCall playing this game uh, because he's in the portal but said he was going to play? Uh, ECU is a very good team, too. I'm on the ECU side because Coastal has been so up and down this season, but this seems to be uh to, to me even with the big spread one of the the harder games to pick yeah and it was a little bit of a wild ride you know when mccall entered the portal right i mean there was some obviously that news had gotten out because there was there was a lot of line movement uh and then when it was announced that he was entering the portal then it you know accelerated uh east carolina became a you know double digit favorite um not too long after that mccall said oh no actually i'm gonna play uh in the game i'm i kind of hedged a little bit i mean yeah he he said he's playing and and i certainly believe that but i went ahead partly because coastal carolina is a team that, that our numbers have been really high on this year similar to georgia southern I hedged a little bit kind of to, to put us a little bit closer to um, you know what the odds makers had. I knew we were going to be on Coastal Carolina to cover, so I didn't think it would hurt us. But I think that, that you know, there's a chance. We've seen some guys who kind of have one foot in, one foot out, and, yeah, maybe they start, but maybe they don't necessarily play the whole game. Maybe they, you know, play a half. We we there was an Oklahoma State receiver, Tylen Wallace, a couple of years ago, right? Played the first half, and they said, oh, that was the plan all along. Um, I'm not sure we've seen that any other time, but that sticks in my mind. And, or if and that makes was me the think, truth. Right. Yeah. It makes me think that, you know, maybe that's a possibility, something like that. I don't know. Um, there's also the chance that you get to game day and like, oh, no, actually, I thought about it. I'm probably going to play. Uh, I mean, we saw Dwayne McBride, you know, do that at, at uh, the Bahamas Bowl. Um so I don't know. I, I, I've been a bit disappointed of late with coastal Carolina. I mean, they went nine and three and weathered a lot of injuries. I mean, injuries at the running back position were probably the most noticeable, but the secondary, the linebacker core, I mean, this, this was a team that really wasn't a hundred percent at all this year. Grace McCall even missed some time. I mean, a big, big part of the reason why they, disappointed in November uh, was McCall, you know, missed, uh, missed a game with uh, a major, missed a couple of games, I think. And then of course, you know, they weren't able to play Virginia. Um, so it just, uh, things got thrown off. And with the coaching change now, Jimmy Chadwell headed to uh, Liberty, who is still beating Toledo. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit. They just interviewed him too. Did they? The game. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a little bit, you know, McCall's not the only guy leaving. He's, he's, I think the only guy who is, uh, said he's leaving, but playing in the game, but Willie Lampkin 
you know, stud center, uh, has already committed to North Carolina. All conference guy rated, you know, almost a 96 in our player ratings right now. We're going to be really close to a 100 rated player, max rated player next year. Um, Josiah Stewart, who we talked about in the transfer portal section of the show, um, has just had an incredible, I mean, 30 production points in, in his first two years on campus there, headed to Michigan, one of the most highly sought after defensive players uh, in in this current portal class. They're losing, you know, a couple of guys in the secondary to the NFL draft. It's, it's, it's a time of transition um, at Coastal Carolina, not just with the coaching staff, but a lot of their, you know, best players who uh, were part of that rise that they had a couple of years ago and were part of this team that was able to win a lot of games uh, really shorthanded for a, you know, for a good chunk of the season. And then things just sort of fell apart. I don't know. Are, are they going to go out with, Hey, let's rally around one more time and uh, find a way to win, find a way to stay competitive. Or is it just, man, you know, we lost our coach. We lost so many of our great players. Our quarterback is gone, even though he's, you know, here today. Um, is there going to be a little bit of a, eh, do we really want to be here? Especially after they've been blown out a couple of times uh, the last couple of weeks. And let's not forget, East Carolina is good. I mean, Keaton Mitchell, uh, Keaton Mitchell is one of my favorite players to watch in college football. Uh, one of the fastest players in college football. Um, just a, a really, really exciting running back. Holt Naylor's, you know, we talk about, uh, seemed like Matt McDonald had been around forever. Yeah, I know. Naylor's <laughs> has been here. I mean, uh, he he is in his. Didn't he replace Gardner Minshew? And Gardner right? Minshew has been in the NFL for a decade, right? I mean, like, it just seems like forever for Aylers. Absolutely. Uh, CJ Johnson, who who burst onto the scene as Replace a Jones. And kind of, you know, uh, 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 stubbed his, his toe a little bit as a sophomore and a junior, uh, had some discipline, uh, you know, wasn't with the team in the spring, yeah. I should say. Um, but he bounced back, had a really, really good year. I, Isaiah Winstead, you know, good year. Um, Ryan Jones, the, the talented tight end, is, is not going to play in this game. Uh, but uh, they're... You know, and also right, uh, Avery Jones, starting center, is transferred to Illinois, uh, so he won't be there. But uh, East Carolina has a lot of talent at, at the skill positions. Uh, they've got a defense that has really come a long way the last couple of years. Defensive lines played at a top 25 level. Uh, Malik Fleming at corner, one of the better corners at the group of five level. Um, uh, East Carolina is a legitimately good team and, and is going to be – far closer to 100% than Coastal Carolina. So even though, you know, the projection uh, is on the Coastal Carolina thing side of things as far as covering, do have East Carolina favored, of course. But I do see a scenario where this one just sort of gets out of hand and, and East Carolina um, sort of flexes its muscle, muscles a little bit and, and takes advantage of a Coastal Carolina team that – Started out great, overcame a lot of injuries early, but just, you know, kind of fell apart at, at the finish line um, and, you know, isn't isn't the team it was earlier in the year. Um, so maybe they'll be able to kind of rise up and keep it close and, and 
send everybody out on a high note, but I don't have a lot of confidence that's going to happen. I, I think that East Carolina is probably going to break off some big plays, you know, Mitchell, some long runs, CJ Johnson using his, his uh, uh, big frame, Holton Aylers, uh you know, running around making plays. Um, I, I could see East Carolina win this one uh, in blowout fashion more than I would see Coastal Carolina winning outright, if that makes sense. All right, let's go to the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, the last game that we will talk about today, Wisconsin versus Oklahoma State. Wisconsin is a three-point favorite. We have them closer to a touchdown, 43-and-a-half is the total. We're on the over in this game, if you can believe it. Uh, lots of opt-outs on both sides. Um, Spencer Sanders, obviously, entering the uh, transfer portal, was a, a big blow to Oklahoma State. Um you know, they've been down quarterback anyway. Graham Mertz is gone. But I feel like, you know, this is another, there's a lot of motivating factors in bowl season and a lot of prep time. You know, like uh, we, we look at Legas, who we talked about earlier, uh, playing for Utah State. And, you know, you kind of don't think the last time we looked at him, he was terrible. But he had three weeks to prep for this game. You know, the coaches have three weeks to install things that they think will specifically work for him. I think Jim Leonard coaching his last game here at Wisconsin before he moves on is uh, a huge motivating factor for the Badgers. So I have the Badgers in this game, uh, but should be a nice, fun, close one to close out Tuesday evening. Uh, how do you see this one playing? Our numbers agree. Uh, have Wisconsin favored, you know, by a touchdown. And, and uh, yeah, this is one of our few overs. Uh, so, again, that makes me think – you know, I'm I'm wishing we were on more overs, but on the few that we we do have projected, I'm like, well, is that really the right side? So uh, don't don't necessarily feel great about it. But uh, Oklahoma State, I mean, a lot of the things I just said about Coastal Carolina, I think could apply uh, to Oklahoma State. I mean, started out really well, five and zero, six and one, beat Texas, you know, big win. And then things just sort of fell apart and injuries were part of it. Uh, you know, Spencer Sanders, obviously, um, you know, missed time and, and, and now is, is uh, in the portal looking for a change of scenery. Um, with that, you know, this, this Oklahoma State offense, which looked really good early in the year, but really, you know, stumbled down the stretch now 89th and Offensive team performance overall, 112th rushing. That's not what we expected uh, this year. Certainly not what I expected. And then Dominic Richardson, who's been there, you know, top running back this year, uh, is in the transfer portal. We will get to see Ollie Gordon, who's a, a talented true freshman and and you know has played well. Uh, you know, Jaden Nixon has, has had his moments this season uh, also, but. I don't know. This team, you know, with Garrett Rangel at quarterback and, and Gunnar Gundy has gotten some time. Um, they're just not quite the not quite the same offense. Um, not as balanced, certainly. They've they've got playmakers, guys like Brennan Presley, Braden Johnson. Um, you know, they've had some injuries, Bryson Green and Jaden Bray this year. Um, but I just feel that that this Oklahoma State offense in its current form isn't quite, you know, built to to take advantage of uh, the playmaking ability that they've got. Uh, 
but also, you know, going up against a Wisconsin defense that playing under Jim Leonard in the last game, as you mentioned, uh, and is a pretty solid, I mean, sixth, they are a top 10 defense uh, in our team performance numbers, top four against the run. So you kind of negate uh, or, or, you know, uh, it, it's just going to be really, really difficult for Ohio or excuse me, Oklahoma state uh, to be balanced offensively because, you know, can't really right now trust that passing attack and this Wisconsin defense, you know, led by guys like, uh, well, I should say normally would be led by guys like Nick Herberg and, and Keanu Benton, but both of those players have uh, opted out as has Jay Shaw. Um, so maybe there's a little bit of room there. I mean, you know, top 10 defense, top four uh, D line in our performance ratings, uh, but they, they are not going to be at full strength. So, you know, maybe um, Oklahoma state that, that offers a, a little bit of room, but I trust Jen Leonard. I, I trust uh, that Wisconsin defense and, and, you know, they've got other good players as well. I mean, I, it didn't uh, quite dawn on me. Uh, Maima, uh Minta, and my apologies if I completely butchered that, but nailed uh, it. Really, really productive year this year. Um, he's going to be sort of the the star uh now that that Herbig is is off to the NFL. Um we're gonna to get to see you know John Torchio. I, I do believe that he is playing. I don't have him listed as opting out. Um all conference safety. Uh, will be off to the NFL after this game, but unless I miss something, you know, he will be there sort of as the, uh, the, the, you know, main guy on, on that back end. Um, so I think that Not on Thor's gigantic list here on sure. uh, fantasy pros. So looks like, looks like you're good there. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I, uh, he did a, some great work with that. I, I, I absolutely went through and, and caught a few that I missed. So, uh, certainly kudos to him, but, but yeah, if, if could be a situation where, you know, maybe, maybe none of us knew or, or saw that, that it was going to happen, but, uh, you know, on the offensive side of things, Wisconsin, uh, will be, I do believe playing with a backup quarterback, uh, Graham Mertz is, is in the portal. So I, I believe Chase Wolf is, is, uh, going to be the starter. So a Wisconsin offense that wasn't necessarily clicking on all cylinders to begin with. Uh, especially in the passing game, they were 81st in, in uh, passing offensive team performance, um, but has uh, some good running backs. Uh, Ches Malusi stepped in, is back in healthy uh, when Braylon Allen was out, but Allen, it sounds like, uh, you know, had a lot of transfer rumors. As of now, he's still at Wisconsin. It sounds like he's healthy enough to play in this game. So uh, that's a solid one, two combo the wisconsin offensive line like the defense losing a couple of its better players but still as a whole a unit that that i think we can trust a little bit um so i feel like wisconsin's going to run the ball going to play good defense and as only a three-point favorite um I, i i feel pretty good about being on on the wisconsin side oklahoma state is is a team that just second half of the season uh, really just sort of fell apart a little bit. And it's not that Wisconsin was much better. Um, they lost two of their last three games coming into to this. But they are, I think, a little bit more consistent and, and have been a little bit more competitive. And right now, even with some of the opt-outs, um, a, a little bit closer 
just a little bit more of their regular season selves or, or the best of what we saw for the team in the regular season. Um, could go either way. Oklahoma State's won plenty of games that uh, people didn't expect them to. Um, but I, I feel like uh, I feel like Wisconsin is is rightly favored, and and I I think I would rather be on the side that we're on that that you know for for them to win and cover uh, than uh, to to try to uh, expect Oklahoma State to to find a way to win. I, I'm with you on that one, and that will wrap it up for today. Of course, next week we'll be coming back with previews of the big bowls. The playoff games uh, will be in there next week as uh, well as the New York New Year's uh, six games. So lots of good ones to preview next week. We will uh, see if, like I said, if Xavier's daughter will let him participate in this uh, episode next week. But uh, we will, of course, be here for you. Follow us on the Twitter machine at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Bogman Sports for me, and for the absentee, Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter. Good luck. Uh, enjoy your holidays, everyone, and we will see you next week. Happy bowl season. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Mm-hmm.